Hello and welcome back once again to the greatest podcast on earth. It is the last Boy Scout Minute where we analyze and scrutinize the classic movie, The Last Boy Scout, one minute at a time, five days a week. Okay, I'm going to have to stop you again once, 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 once again here. Okay, okay. Greatest podcast on earth isn't, you know, we, all, we have our own podcast, man. What, what are you doing? You're already underselling us. Well, I mean, ours, we're good, but The Last Boy Scout, man, I mean, everybody loves that movie. Yeah, don't, but the thing they? is, again, let's, you know, let's go over this again. Not the last Boy Scout. Okay, somebody may someday be doing the last Boy Scout uh, podcast. Yeah, we are. Now. Whatever. But no, we're still doing Die Hard. But oh, it's the last of the Die Hards. This is it. After this, you go back to normal. Where we, uh, so we're we just didn't all, need all Batman all the time after this. Now. I didn't even get it right on the last one then. Oh, my God. Jeez, no. <laughs> oh, And I've got all these notes. What am I going to do with these? They're not applicable. I mean, this is all stuff. Theoretically, we could cut all this, you know, this, this, these comical mishaps out of the episode. But for some reason, we don't. I'm sure the people at home are like, "What are these idiots doing?" But- I'm gonna, I'm gonna fire our editor. He's, yeah. he's getting the boot. <laughs> okay, start over. Start over. Hello and welcome to Die Hard Minute, the daily show that smashes the glass of ignorance and crunches it beneath the feet of Bruno Knowledge, one minute at a time. A great collection of your favourite Movies by Minutes hosts are on the Die Hard train, and then there's us as well. Yay! (laughs) I am one of your hosts, John Ho 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 Parker. Ooh, you think you came in well, well prepared for this intro? <laughs> so I feel bad now. I've been like, yeah, I'm Niall McGowan. I'm also I've been from Batman at '89. That's that's where, that's where we're from. <laughs> You'd think it was well prepared, wouldn't you? But uh, that's my deception. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is just us again now. After after the last three days of fun guests, you stuck with us. So like it or lump it. <laughs> this is minute eighty-five. And I've forgotten to make a note about what the minute starts and ends with. <laughs> it, uh, it, end, it begins with, you know, Ellis mid-grand performance and getting a bit more vocally distressed. And it ends a minute later with Hans uh, pointing his uh, transmitter towards the screaming crowds. So why are they screaming? What could possibly go wrong in the next minute that would cause the crowds to become distressed? Well, if you want to find out, the only way to know is to stay tuned. I mean, you can't go and watch the movie. That, that, that's a waste of time. Stay tuned for this. And I'm assuming none of these people who are listening to this have seen the film either. Well, no, no way they, the they, they would know what's happened. Yeah, I mean, why would you listen to a podcast about it if you'd seen it? Because you, you know what's going to happen. It'd ruin it. Yeah, stupid, no, stupid. Makes total sense. Total sense. So, yes, the minute. Here, we are back with Ellis. And he finishes his line from the, from the previous minute. And he says, My life on the line for you, pal. Hmm. I love the fact that he's, he's like he's really he's getting into the the, the real performance of this here, like you know, like oh, you're my life, my life and a life, you pal. But then gives uh, well, he does this whole you know, come down here, let them, capiche? And then he gives Hans like a very kind of reassuring like, eh, I got this right. Like really, still, but like, hey, we're I'm, I'm all over this, you know. <laughs> oh, I, I, to be honest, first off, I don't know if getting angry at McLean is the smartest move. I know it's fake, but the the way he's trying to play it, shouting at him 
<laughs> it's like, yeah, eh, maybe that's not the best tactic. Mm. And then you're right, yeah, he gives Hans a little, a little look, and it's, yeah, it sickens me. <laughs> this whole man sickens me, and I don't really get it because, like, he's telling Hans that he and John are old friends. But if that's the case, then why would he feel so good about turning his buddy in and mm. give him the little cute like nod and a wink? Yeah. Shouldn't yeah. he be like looking like, oh, I can't believe I'm having to do this. <laughs> I guess maybe like this is maybe perhaps say it's like a commentary on the mentality of the yuppie potentially in that like, you know, you'd think another way he would have gone was to be like show a bit of vulnerability and be like, John, please come down. You know, like really get emotional about it. But he's like, no, I'm a high flying businessman. I don't show, I don't cry. I don't do anything like that. And, uh, and so that's one thing again. Don't show any weakness, which has already scuppered him. And then the fact, yeah, he doesn't think to be like, "Hey, you know, I've, uh, I'm giving up my friend to even perform to Hans to be like, I can't believe I'm doing this." Like he's, <laughs> he's all, he's still got this real swagger. Like, hey, I'm just, you know, I'm a, it's all business. All, all, all of my entire life is just business meetings, baby. You know, this, yeah, like, I'm just getting getting shit done. All this kind of stuff. So again, this may be why like Hans already. You know, I don't think for a second he believes anything that Ellis is really telling them. But oh, the no, fact no, that, no. And it probably could be that he's interpreted like, well, why is he so nonchalantly giving up the, his friend of so many years? Maybe he thinks that Hans will kind of admire that, maybe. A, a bit like the yuppie thing you're saying, because, like, you know, it's the 80s. Because maybe he thinks, well, you know, th- this guy means business. He's, he's willing to turn in his friend. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So he, he knows what needs to be done. Mm. So maybe he thinks he'll admire it in a way. Mm. It's hard to believe that Els is thinking ahead in any way at all. <laughs> just, this whole this whole scheme is so badly thought out that it's just like, well, I don't know. If, I don't think he knew how he was going to get back out of that office once he walked in there. Absolutely, because because all this to me sort of indicates that like he's he's doing a trick. He's tricking mm. him. But that's not the approach he's taken with the terrorists up until this point. It's, it's very strange. Yeah. <laughs> Everything he does is stupid. Just go away. <laughs> nah, we, we love him, though. We love to hate him. Hmm. But uh, but even then, he does something even more idiotic uh, in, like a, you know, in a moment. Because we you know, get a little bit of dialogue from McLean when he's talking. You know, sort of starting to realize exactly what's happening here. And he McLean's getting a bit more visibly, like concerned of like oh crap i see what's happened here this isn't gonna go well kind of thing and then as he's saying that hans has visibly pulled out this gun that he's laid out on the table Mm. and uh at that point then ellis in a move of even more idiocy (laughs) does this whole thing of like hans like your babe but put the gun away this is radio not television you're like like he's really i'm not a method actor but was giving away the fact that it's like oh this is all for show and I'm just playing along here. He's, you know, like, what What was he thinking of just announcing that over the transmitter to McLean as well? It's like him going like, oh, I know this is all bullshit. You know, I'm just playing along here and stuff. Well, I mean, he's he's trying to sell it as real. Like, he's being threatened, I guess. Because he, um, he is kind of being threatened without being threatened. If that makes sense. Like, Hans has got the gun out. He's not actually holding it to his head. But maybe he thinks, oh, uh He's, he's, he's using that as visual inspiration for me in this trick I'm doing with John. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, because I, I, I would have imagined his pitch, you know, going up to McLean was that, like, I'm already under duress here. Presumably all these guys have already got guns on me, but I'm cocky, 
cool 80s yuppie guy. I don't care about that. I'm just here to negotiate. And then by him saying, like, Hans has pulled out a gun, and him automatically going like, hey, you know, this is this is radio, not TV. You know, I'm not a method actor. All this is really sort of giving away the fact that, like, oh, wait, no, this is... I wasn't expecting this to happen. This is a bit strange. And stuff. I get what you mean. It is odd the way it's done because he he says it, though, like he's acting. It's not like a genuine reaction. Mm. It's not like he goes, whoa, whoa. You know, it, it's it's very false still. So it's a very, I'm not quite sure what his, uh, his idea is there. I don't think he thinks Hans is going to use it, though. Yeah, I, I, I would have like, interpreted myself as being like, it, the, the way he says it is more like he's trying to maintain that kind of like, everything's cool here. It's like, hey, Hans, what, what are you doing? Like, this is radio, not this is radio, not TV. Like, it's really like, um, hey, we're still buddies here, right? You know, so he could be actually successfully managing to, to mask his, yeah. oh, shit. you know, like kind of, oh, my God, what's happening here? I know you're usually the, you know, maybe if, if you haven't, we might have to cut this out, but you're usually a gun... Resident gun nut of Batman eighty nine, John Parker. I was assuming like John's probably going to have looked into this gun, which is which is a crazy thing to say because I know nothing about guns. But you you are correct. I, <laughs> hey, there you go. I have looked it up. I have researched the gun. Uh, now the we don't know what the previous hosts have said, yeah. so this could have come up at some <laughs> I point. I think we've said about like fifty times this yeah. week already as well. So apologies if this is a duplication, but yes, Hans Hans's gun, Hans gun. Uh, I researched it. It is a, <clears throat> let me get my pronunciation right, Heckler and Koch, Koch, <laughs> I can't do German, Koch, uh, P7M13, and it is a German weapon, It featured, which is obviously makes sense. It features in quite a lot of movies. It's in uh, small roles, though. It's in Hard Boiled, it's in Beverly Hills Cop 2, Eraser, uh, True Romance as well. They were the ones oh. that stood out to me. I thought that was quite a good collection of very different tonal, sorry, very tonally different movies. Yeah. Well, it's a Beverly Hills Cop and True Romance. That's both to- Tony Scott, doesn't it? That's oh. way off. Yeah, so. Oh, that sounds right. That sounds right. Maybe, maybe, it's, a, maybe it's one of his, or it was, you know, tragically, Tony Scott's passed on, but like uh, maybe mm. that was his preferred gun. <laughs> maybe. Like, I, like, yeah. I like to get that in all my movies. I don't think it's the main weapon in most of those. Um mm. But this is, as the name says, it's a it, it's the same as a P7, but it has a 13 round magazine. So oh. I think that's why P7 M13. <laughs> this would be having to do with, like all this, like oh, that's interesting. Know nothing about guns, <laughs> and every, everything you're saying is going completely over my head. Well, you know what a 13 round magazine means. Well, I get that idea, like a vague idea, but it's only gathered through watching films like Die Hard. Yes, <laughs> I would have. Same here. From this and playing like Call of Duty, that's like the only way I know anything about a weapon. Because we've had like people on, like our show, like on Bat Minutes. I remember when we had uh, George Hendricks from Mogwai Minute on, and you were talking about that little sort of one piece gun that the Joker shoots Bruce Wayne with, mm. and I think we were both kind of like, "Oh, I don't know what this is," and then. Maybe you know, you know, he's in America. He's more ready access to gun culture in what way. But George was able to kind of go, "Oh, I can tell you exactly what this is." And stuff like understood all the terminology of it and stuff as well. And I think I think that we were audibly kind of like, "Well, I guess you know what you're talking about because I have a clue what <laughs> that was." Yeah, just uh, yeah, we get we get experts on. That's what we do. Yeah, we that was the not. only reason we totally knew that he would know that well well in advance. <laughs> we assume all Americans do. <laughs> um, I like John just before that bit though uh, I like John on the walkie talkie when he says uh, to Ellis to shut your mouth and put Gruber back on 
Mm. Well, not in those exact words, but you know. Because the fear in his voice is really like genuinely quite quite scary. It feels real. Yeah. Like because Johnny, he's worried about like everyone involved here, even Alice to a point. Yeah. Because yeah. he's a cop. Like, okay, he might not like the guy, but he, you know, he wants to protect him. That that's what he does. And he's worried even for him. He's worried for his wife. He's worried for the other hostages himself. Mm. And you can feel that. That's actually some really good, some really good acting coming through on a walkie-talkie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you even say that does that tie in in some way then to the fact that Alice's whole demeanor and Hans's whole demeanor, because Hans is all cold and calculating. You know, he's obviously he's the villain of the whole piece. And Hans was the guy when he found out like that. You know, Carl, you know, his right-hand man, Carl's brother was dead, was just sort of like, oh, we have to tell Carl his brother. Like, he just didn't, he didn't care about the the fact the guy was dead. Except the, the inconvenience it was going to cause him to have to tell Carl about it. And then Ellis, again, yeah, he's he's all swagger and bravado. Of like, hey, oh, it's me, it's Ellis, hey. Whereas McLean then is like, you know, is our hero, is the guy who's emotionally engaged in everything. And even is like trying to desperately save the life of a guy he only met once and visibly despised every second he spent with him. And, but he's uh, still trying. That's that's yeah, the thing. He's a hero. Mm. I that's need a it, hero. Sorry. <laughs> it's supposed to be, like, you know, try to mention what, what the potential statement of this scene is and its intent anyway. Because I know a mm. lot of people, you know, will, will have spoken on this show about like the fact that Die Hard with all its, you know, Roy Rogers cowboy motifs and all this business is kind of about it's some sort of, you know, a commentary on the lone American cowboy, you know, uh, bringing peace to his old homestead and, you know, getting his wife back and you know, all these kind of classic American tropes in the face of, you know, uh, European fashionistas coming in and, you know, working for the Japanese company in an age when Japan was encroaching on American business turf and things like that. And, you know, there's a lot of different readings that way. And then what's what's the, what's this statement here, though, that like the, the cowboy, you know, the classic American archetype is trying to save an American who's dealing in the business world and is completely out of his depth and ends up, you know, we'll see at the end of this minute, doesn't make it out of this situation alive. Ooh. You know, what, what kind of, uh, what was, it, was it just John McTiernan and the, the screenwriters and even the original book could have been like, they just have a real anti-business, anti-yuppie slant to them. Well, that's the 80s. I mean, a lot of movies were uh, were very, very critical of that kind of attitude in, in my mind rightly you know so oh, yeah, totally, totally. That, it, it comes into quite a lot of films especially action movies mm. I was even the, the fact that it kind of weirdly backfired remember with the with wall street so you watch wall street gordon gecko like michael douglas's character is blatantly the villain oh like yeah you meant a, to hate him yeah and then for some reason everyone loved gordon gecko and was going around with the contrast collars and the red suspenders and the slick back hair and stuff, as if like, oh, this guy knew what he was doing until he got done for insider trading. Yeah, I think they got the wrong message out of that somehow. <laughs> <laughs> but the, yeah, yeah the, imagine Oliver Stone's whole thing was like, I was trying to make a, a you know a political statement about how terrible yuppieism is, and everyone loved it. Uh, these things always get stolen away from their uh, creators <laughs> and the original intent. So you imagine yeah. if, there, if there is a genuine. Uh, you know, criminal takeover of an office building sometime, sometime, some guy's going to be like, I'm going to be like Ellis, and I'm going to swagger in and deal with the situation and just not, did you not get the point of what was happening there? <laughs> um, 
with with this then we well then we get to technically the the gun bit you mentioned um and john knows that no matter what ellis's view on this is if he thinks it's real or not blah 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 john knows that the he knows these type of people so he works out that you know hans getting this gun out this is going to go bad mm. whether whether ellis thinks it's a ploy or he doesn't think it it's irrelevant to john he's like oh he he kicks into another level here yeah like I think he decides the only tactic he's got to reveal the truth. Mm. So he says, you know, Hans, this soul is not my friend. I just met him tonight. Yeah, and he he tells Alice he's like they're gonna kill you. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, is it the smartest move really to to do this? Because surely, like he knows they're just gonna get rid of Alice if he's useless to them. Mm. I mean, maybe he doesn't care. <laughs> no, he does. We've established he's a good yeah, guy. Yeah, it's... but it's you know, it's a bit odd because. By revealing that it's all a ploy, Ellis is now useless to them. Mm. So what are they going to do? They're going to get rid of him. <laughs> yeah. And it'll prove, it'll prove a point that they're serious as well. They're not just going to go, oh, go back to the other hostages. That's fine. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's, it could be maybe he's just like, well, you know, I know I'm not going to come down and give myself up. So that's out. Mm. And then it's just like, maybe it's just like, well, I guess transparency, maybe you never know. Even though he says like, you know, you know, Hans, like, he doesn't know the type of man you are and all this sort of stuff, like, but, you know, I, but I do. So he knows already Hans is going to kill him pretty much. Maybe it's just a blatant mm. last-ditch attempt of, like, there's some semblance of, you know, mercy in him. If he just thinks, this guy's an idiot, he's coming, he doesn't know what he's doing, just let him go, maybe he might actually let him go. But I think the, the desperation <laughs> in his voice is very much like, I know you're not going to, but for the love of God, just maybe, maybe, maybe you'll have a better, you know, the, uh, you know, a bit of a sympathy for him in some way. Oh, not not going to happen. Let's be yeah. honest. No spoilers there. But, <laughs> but then the fact that like, McLean does this, this yell of like, oh, Ellis, for the love of God, tell them that you don't know me. And then Ellis again, just makes it automatically worse with just that horrible laugh. He always does that. Like, <laughs> John. You know, like, how could you say that to me after all these years? <laughs> it's just like, oh, you oh, don't you get it? <laughs> yeah, he's not playing along. But I think he realizes because he gets nothing but silence back from John there. Mm. Like, he's, he's, Ellis's face totally changes. Like, he knows he's lost him. Like, the, the, the game's up now. He's not going back to the, the lie. Mm. Well, I think um, you can see in that shot then when, the, when he does have the bit of, like, panic on his face. I think his hair has been the same the whole scene, but somehow here it looks like it's really pathetically floppy. It's like, I don't don't know if that was intentionally done, but it seems as if, like, oh, yeah, all the the buffant has sort of gone out of it. Mm, I think it may be. It's meant to be a sort of sweat. Yeah. It's it's made it fall down. Yeah, he is visibly sweating is the thing as well. It's Mm. like he's clearly... Maybe he started to... as, As John was saying all these things, he started to realize, like, Oh Christ! Maybe he was right. He's actually so a lot of what he's saying kind of makes sense now. Oh yes, should have listened to John. Everyone, <laughs> all Johns are intelligent, so always <laughs> listen to a John. Mm, well, well, <laughs> <laughs> oi, goddamn! <laughs> I never discounted listening to a Nile either, but there's no Nile here. Yeah, in the movie. <laughs> there's not many of us in in the world, apparently, <laughs> or at least in major, major points in media. So, so if you have a child, you're going to have to call it Nile to keep it going. Yeah, I had to do a whole shout out when I was on with the Watchmen guys, because the guy who plays Mothman in that apparently is called Nile Matter. So I had to just de- derail the whole conversation hey. to do a shout out. So it was like, hey, he's called Nile. I'm giving him a heads up. 
So uh, <laughs> just by just name solidarity. Well, I, I love what happens here as well, because Ellis, all nervous and sweaty, as we said, he's getting nothing back from John. Hmm. So he, he decides to have a, a nice refreshment and a, a drink <laughs> of the Coke. <laughs> and very... once again, like they did earlier in the in the week, hmm. they amplify the sound of it again. Every time the Coke's involved, like, it's really high in the sound mix. Yeah. <laughs> if you notice, like you can you can hear the fizz, you can hear the sloshing, you can hear the gulping. It's mm. it's exceptionally loud. I just I really like the way they do that. Yeah. Okay. I, I was trying to think of like, does this, the, you know, the, the, this is the last shot we get of Alice as him, mm. you know, uh, uh, guzzling down his Coke. And again, like I always think, you know, Coca Cola. It automatically goes into my in my head. This is a bit of a deep cut reference, but I know you'll get it, John. Anyway, within the you know the young ones, the hey. British sitcom, and it had uh, you know they had the, the the four main guys, but Alexi Sale always played like a, he was always a relative of their landlord, a Liverpool comedian, Alexi Sale. Yeah, and uh, but the thing was an episode where he actually the landlord himself does show up, like Jersey Belosky. And I remember the, you know, because Young Ones is an absolutely ridiculous show, like in terms of its actual plot lines, it's like really surrealist, silly, silly show. And uh, there was something about, like, I think Vivian had created something that would turn people into axe wielding psychopaths. Yes. And then he put, he put it in a Coke can. And I always remember, because I don't know where the landlord's supposed to be. He's just supposed to be from Europe somewhere. It's somewhere, it's like Russia, around Russia somewhere. Yeah. Eastern Europe. yeah. But uh, yeah, because I always remember he comes in, he's like, hello, boys, it's me, Jersey Polosky. And he's like, oh, nobody home. And he sees the can of Coke, he's like, oh, Coca-Cola, symbol of free West. And then it's just like, <laughs> every time I see Coca-Cola now, I keep getting, oh, Coca-Cola, symbol of the free West. But then I'm is, so is that... glad it's not just me, because I <laughs> say it every time. <laughs> but uh, I think, again, is this some sort of commentary then? It's like, oh, here's your American, you're all American, or your American 80s yuppie gulping down his Coke. Not just maybe they're going for Coca-Cola, but also like what, another Coke that was prevalent with yuppie culture as well and cocaine. Again, mm. is this trying to emphasize that point of like everything about this guy is idiocy and the fact that he's got the the, sim- the symbol of the free West. That's the thing that's so firmly established with modern America, Coca-Cola, as this is the thing. This is the last you see of him as him panically slurping down his Coke. I was wondering uh, if there was, a, if there was anything intentional that they were trying to push across with that there. So yeah, I think you're definitely onto something because he's, of course, connected to, well, Germany. I can't ever remember if Volksfrei, I know it's West Germany, but I don't know if it's like a communist thing trying to bring that to West Germany or it's fighting against East Germany. I, d- I don't recall. Mm. But um, if it is somehow connected to, say, East Germany in some capacity, that would make even more sense, another level of it. Like, because yeah. Hans would despise another thing about the man in front of him. From what we know, because we still think he's politically motivated. <laughs> uh, another thing I did, though, as well, is the... Cause, okay, you know, Coke's a thing that's very... It's a product product placement you see in so many films mm. to the point now where you don't even notice that there's product, product placement anymore because it's just kind of like, that's the way the world is. Coca-Cola's everywhere. Well, yeah, it's realistic if you see like a giant Coke sign in the background of a scene. You're yeah. like, oh, yeah, that would be there. <laughs> So I decided to do a little bit. I was like, I wonder what was the first film to do it. So I looked into the history of Coke and his representations in film with Coca-Cola. Uh, apparently the first movie was in, a lot of people say King Kong. Not Apparently that's not the first. That's the, maybe the, the most famous first one that it was in. 
Well, apparently it first featured in a 1916 silent comedy called The Mystery of the Leaping Fish. Whoa. Which starred okay. uh, Douglas Fairbanks. I guess that could be, we could almost tie that into our, you know, our podcast, Bat, you know, Bat Minutes, because the Batman 1989 is very much based on the uh, the laughing fish Joker storyline from the comics. So I guess, I guess kind of, if you wanted to do a, a hashtag, everything's connected there. Although I don't know if we can keep doing that, though, because it's aff- affiliated with uh, Dirk Gently. And uh, the guy who writes that, Max Landis, he's he's not going through a pleasant time. So Oh no, I didn't even think about it. That we yeah. are I mean, I knew we were sort of semi referencing it, but oh we have to stop saying it. No, we can't. It's our thing now. Yeah. We stole it. <laughs> no, we we can we can we can take it. We can take it. We're just, we're, we're, we're taking it back. <laughs> I th- I thought you said but, we uh, can take him. Like we can take Max Landis. <laughs> Come on, Max. Oh, <laughs> but uh yeah, other films are obviously uh featured in um you know, most of it memorably I think there was a. There's been a book about the history of Coca-Cola in films, and the the forward was written by Ridley Scott because obviously in Blade Runner, one of the big establishing shots of the city has a giant Coke logo, and he was very much like, yeah, of course, that's. I was trying to show like you know this is still the Earth you know because no matter what's changed, the big industries still survive, so Coca-Cola is still there and all that kind of stuff, which is a nice little realistic little uh, yeah. little tidbit and. Yeah, you just get loads of things like it's a wonderful life. Uh, Scott Pilgrim, he's obviously wearing the the Coke. He asked several times for Coke Zero. Oh, very specifically Coke Zero. Though I like that oh, little touch uh... that it's the Coke Zero because I know you could say, "Oh, that's just trying to market the the kind of new product," but it just made his character a bit funnier that it has to be Coke Zero. <laughs> I think the Scott Pilgrim thing as well. I remember seeing some people say because it's the seven evil X's, then he's the other one, so he's Zero. So that's why he has, that's why he buys Coke Zero, and that's why he has the Zero, the Billy Corgan Smashing Pumpkins ah, Zero. I'd never ever thought of that. That's genius. Mm. I, I think that might be right. Oh, I might have like Edgar Wright. That's definitely. There's definitely a reason he's got. There's definitely a reason for absolutely every single thing in that movie to be exactly where it yes. is. And stuff. There's if there's no one director who's thought about every every facet, it's mm. him. Oh, for sure. For uh, for sure. And uh, yeah, and then of course you know just other little tidbits like the Independence Day, isn't it? Like the shooting the coke cans off the the ship. That's part of what saves the world is the realization that the you know they, they can get through the shields and stuff. And coke is an integral part of that whole thing. So yay yeah. for coke! And then of course of all freaking people, uh, Doctor Strangelove has a big bit of uh, with Coca Cola because I got that bit with. Mm. Uh, they have to shoot the the vending machine, and the guy reluctantly does it, and he's just like, "Well, you're going to have to apologize to the Coca-Cola company." It's like Stanley Kubrick, classy, <laughs> classic director, classic auteur, artist, Stanley Kubrick. Yep, got a bit of Coke product placement in this movie, so don't blame him. Screw it. <laughs> yeah, no, by all means, yeah, do what you got to do, man. But uh, yeah, so uh, then I do like this though because. Uh, we get the shot of McLean. Then we hear the gunshot off the air. So, like, I remember the last time shot Hans shot somebody in the head was Takagi. I think well, I think that was the last guy shot. And, and we did see, we yeah. saw the blood spatter, and then we saw McLean's reaction. So, again, we, we still saw things from his point of view. But now, because I guess he was still in the room, technically, or adjacent to the room to see that. Now he's off on a different floor. We're still getting it from his point of view, but all he gets is the audio. 
So uh, it's, it's, it's kind of it's a nice classy way to just convey what's happened without having to go into a gory, here's a guy's head blowing up kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, I prefer it because I'm not too into gore. I, I can stomach it sometimes or if it's done in a kind of artistic, like Hannibal, that kind of fashion. But if it was just a guy getting shot in the head and it just exploded, oh, no, yeah. I don't want to see that. The guy who loves machete. Is, <laughs> the, this, is, this is what I have to deal with people there every time. <laughs> yeah, but machete is a bit different. It's more, it's more the, the thought behind it, like the, the, uh, the meaning and the reasons that it's that way. Mm. Like it... If it's done in a nasty way, I don't like it. Yeah, yeah. you know what I mean. Like it's the the intent, mm. <laughs> not but not behind the character, behind the filmmaking process. You know? <laughs> but I I like this here as well because everybody outside starts to scream, mm. and uh, in too many movies, like guns are almost like bloody silent ninja weapons. People <laughs> in adjacent rooms don't hear the damn things. Mm. So I thought it was interesting that these people who are out and down the corridor a bit and, and busy and stuff, they hear it and react violently. Like, oh, my God. It's, it's more realistic. A gun is loud, people. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, I do the, I love the fact that the, you know, the, the guys who, whoever's following us will get to do this more in depth. But, like, Hans said, this is his instant play. Like, he knew what he was doing the whole time. It's like, I was going to shoot this guy, and then to really emphasize my point, I'm going to point the radio transmitter at the screaming crowd. So he can be like, look at what I've got. I've got all these people. I'll do it to another one. You know, this sort of, Oh uh, yeah. That's, I, that's instantly what he's, he's implying to him, isn't it? It's like, listen to them. Yeah. Oh, Cause They're there's no, no hesitation. It's like, it's not like, Oh, I can do this in a minute. He's just like, Nope. Like he was probably mid off the chair as he shot Ellis in the first place. <laughs> so he knew what was going to happen. But, uh, it's a, it's a good plan. I mean, cause again, McLean is a cop. He wants to protect these people. That's kind of built into him. Mm. So th- this is the best way to terrify him, yeah. I think. Like, make him worried about all these people. Mm. Don't make him worried about his own life. That's not. He's not really ho- too bothered about that. I mean, obviously, he wants to preserve himself, but more so he can save people. Mm. But, uh, yeah, yeah, that's all perfectly true. Um, I was thinking now, because this is like, it's, it's weird, because it's like, that's almost like the last of my notes for this for this minute but it's like oh this not only has ellis departed that means like we're done with die hard all together now well yeah we we are dying like ellis yeah we're getting shot we're dying hard (laughs) getting shot by whoever the hosts are next week i Mm. believe uh (laughs) we've taken a bullet from them I've probably so, been the same people who followed us the last time, but I can't remember who that was. So. I don't know if it's in the same pattern or not. I have I, no idea. I, I genuinely yeah. haven't worked that out. I've not, I've not sat and... Uh, we don't communicate with each other a lot about the Die Hard episodes, the no. different teams. <laughs> we talk about everything else but the Die Hard episode. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I guess, like... Um, uh, unless you have... Do you have anything else for this minute yourself, John? That you wanna, do you want to no, get that's... out? That's everything I've got. So thank you for listening to us as a duo. Oh, one thing, I'll, one other thing oh, I will yeah. plug, uh, just as a little handy, beyond us plug on our own show, is that just this week, because this will tie into our show, uh, a guest we had on on Bat Minutes, Beck Hill, she's brought out a, a video. She does a little, um, I want to say little, sounds very condescending. Because uh, she, she does, you know, she's a stand-up comedian, but she does uh, paper puppetry through flip charts. Where she's standing, you know, a flip chart thing, but she's kind of 
manipulate everything in with a little cutout bit so she can move the images on the pages and stuff. And she's done one all about Die Hard. And it's a musical one. So uh, and it's very, very creative, very visually, you know, whoa, that's really, really impressive. That's also very funny. And, you know, she's a funny lady, so... Uh, oh, it is! It is great. Like I, I hadn't seen it until recently, and it, I loved it. I thought it was I think fantastic. She, I think she only like literally put it out like just uh, like a week or two back. So oh, thank God then. I thought I thought it was old, and I was I felt bad. Like, oh. oh, how did I not see this before? So I okay. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, like you know, if you like that, uh, if you you know, by all means, you go listen to that. And if you like her in general, she's on our show, so you should uh, head on over to. The Bat Minute eighty nine, and I can't remember what minute she does, but she's on there for a bit. <laughs> so, in fact, you should you should head over and listen to that show immediately when you're done with this. <laughs> Please, it's it's all very helpful. Well, thank you for having us on Die Hard Minute, everyone, and thank you for listening because it's been great. We love this movie, and it's interesting to look at it like this because I've never really thought about some of these scenes, like the El- the Ellis scene here. I, mean, I I just saw, you know, oh that's a cool scene. The, the soul that you hate gets shot <laughs> so i've never really then sort of thought about it any more than than that um so it's interesting to, to take a look at it in the minutia mm. and think about now, like every every year with your diehard screening you're gonna be sitting with your your girlfriend going do you know that this could be potentially commenting on some sort of sociopolitical <laughs> yuppie versus uh, the old cowboy traits and i bet you that will happen because that's what's happened with batman well, oh. with batman like i can't watch it the same Mm. It's a very strange feeling. Yeah, um, it'd be a bit different with this because obviously we've only done two weeks, and our our first week was more. We had more sort of research we could do because we, we, you know, it was near the beginning. People yeah. hadn't said a lot yet. Mm. Whereas this one, it's like, well, we can't say too much, and it's mostly just Ellis. Yeah, <laughs> so, it's been like yeah. Hart Bachner. He's been in so many scenes. It's like, well, everyone's bound to have done every bit of trivia on this guy by now. So yeah, so we thought we'll just have fun and talk about. Coke. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Coca Cola, Mm. sponsors of Die Hard Minute. But let's bring up Bruce Willis's tattoo again, because apparently no one (laughs) mentioned that. So, So, yes, uh, make sure you, everybody in the future, talk about Bruce Willis's tattoo. (laughs) And make sure to talk about Bruno, because that is the greatest thing Bruce Willis ever did. Mm. Clearly. Clearly. It's better than this. I don't mean Bruno the kid either. Uh, (laughs) I I was thinking, like, People are going to go watch Bruno the movie with Sasha Baron Cohen. And they're like, what the, what's this got to do with Die Hard? Yo, where's Bruce Willis? <laughs> Is he the lead? Uh, yes. Join the show again next week because it's back on Monday with new hosts, Ooh, new exciting action, new scenes, new fun, new chat. I need to, I needed to say chat more like Alan Partridge, actually. Um, <laughs> Like the next episode of so, Batman is just you saying chat every 10 seconds. Like, oh, God damn it. <laughs> I am going to go, aha, every time I introduce the show from now on. Yeah. Um, I have no problems with that. That seems fine. <laughs> if you would like to get in touch with us for any reason whatsoever, then you can find us everywhere on the internet. Just look up Batman at 89. We're on Twitter and Facebook. They're the main ones. And this show... Die Hard Minute is also available on said social media places. Uh, you can tweet at Die Hard Minute, and you can join the the Facebook group Die Hard with a Podcast Listeners Limo, and check out the website as well, DieHardMinute.com. That's that's always handy. And then also there's MoviesByMinute.com, where you can find all the shows, every show, 
you don't like this one, doesn't matter. <laughs> go find another one. Don't like us, doesn't matter. Go find another one. Star Wars, Indiana Jones, everything. It's all there. And yes, come back again on Monday for more Die Hard. Tell me you got that. I got it, I got it. Hit your heart on Channel 5.